You're listening to City on a Hill DFW Sermon Podcast. For more information about our church or to support these ministries, visit us at cityonahilldfw.com. Hey, good morning. So uh, I'm Brian. I'm uh, the Freedom Group's pastor. I've been here for a little while. I think I came on staff in 09. And so I think they've let me preach one other time during Father's Day, and it's like one-third of a message. So, um, so I got my shot, so I'm going to take it, y'all. Uh, now, let me give you a little background. Uh, Jamie and I came to the church uh, in Easter of 2000, and uh, I wanted to kind of, not everybody knows this story, so I might as well share it. We'd moved from Oklahoma uh, for a new job. We had a new baby, and we lived a mile away, not even a mile away. And a buddy of mine had done an event here, and he goes, hey, there's this church named Celebration. You need to check it out. And so uh, I, I looked it up in the phone book. We still had phone books back then, and I looked it up in the phone book, and there were a couple celebration, different churches, and this one was the closest, so I decided to come here. And uh, it, w- it was, you know, that's how it is. And, and at that time, I'd been burned by church. I was pretty much done. I'd been a youth pastor before about three different times and on staff, and uh, I was just done with church. We were pregnant out of wedlock, and uh, that, that, that turned out pretty poorly uh, with my family and being a youth pastor. So... I just said, I'm done with the ministry, uh, but I love God, I love Jesus, and I know I'm supposed to take my family to church, so that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to take my baby and my wife to church, and so I sat on the back row, back, right, right way back there in 2000, and uh, I had no idea what I was going to encounter when I came here. I didn't know what God had in store for me. I was just coming to, to a church, okay, and I, I had a pornography problem, and Jamie didn't know that. And apparently I had a lying problem based on the first problem, okay? And I did also have an anger problem, which she was very aware of, okay? That, was, uh, that one I didn't hide very well. So I, I really didn't understand what, what God had me doing. So... In August of 2000, that same year, Jamie busted me with pornography, and it looked pretty grim. It looked like our marriage was over. She was talking divorce, and so I was pretty desperate, and I took a day off. If anybody of you know me, that's uh, very unlikely uh, that I took a day off, and I thought, thought I'm going to get some help, so I called the church office here, and we had a, a counselor by the name of uh, Jeff Roberts who uh, officed out of here. Uh, in an office right over here, and I came and saw Jeff that day, and I was pretty broken. I knew this was a problem, but I didn't understand how big of a problem it was, and Jeff said, hey, I think you need to get into a freedom group. Uh, At that time, I think they were called support groups, and uh, there's a guy I want you to meet. He's he's a dude, a crusty old man named Chuck, and so uh, I want you to meet that guy. He's facilitating 12 steps of spiritual journey, and so, uh, so get with him. Uh, and understand, I had already accepted Christ as an eight-year-old. I had, I had surrendered to the ministry at 15 and been a youth pastor at 18 at three different churches. Uh, and, and I thought I was going to be a pastor. 
And when I just could not beat this, whatever this sexual immorality was, I bailed, man. I bailed on, the, on being a pastor. I bailed on, 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 Bible, on Bible school. I bailed on everything. And I just went to work. And I could work. And so that's what I did. And so he got me here. He got me in this place. And he teamed me up with a recovering alcoholic that was already retired and kind of an old dude. And, and he was pretty chill. And, and he seemed like he had some stuff together. So I thought, you know, I'll start listening to this guy. I'll kind of, uh, I'll kind of keep him... Uh, keep, keep what he's saying in word, but he didn't really understand the word very well. And it was kind of weird. I'm like, man, this guy didn't go to Bible school. He was an executive and all this other stuff. And so what I realized is as I, I started coming, coming through this 20 years ago, um, I, 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 I kind of burned out again. I broke sobriety. I relapsed several times. I couldn't stay in the process and there was a point, part where I just got desperate. And I figured out that I couldn't fix me. My plans weren't going to do it. I had to make some changes. I had to change. And so I, I engaged in deep recovery and said, I've got to get better. I've got to do something different. Something's got to change. And it was when I turned over that control, I surrendered that power, something changed. Nothing changed, but everything changed. And uh, so I, I teamed up with the crusty old guy again. And, and God gave me three or four or five or ten different guys that were in the same mess as I was. And I'm like, these guys are pretty messed up too. But that's who he gave me. And, um, and so it's, I'm, I'm, I'm 23 years into this thing. And I, I learned a few things along the way. And more important, I unlearned a lot of different things as well. And I began as a patient here at the hospital church. And I've stayed a patient for 23 years, a couple decades, and now I get to give away what God's given me. So now, okay, let's pray, amen. Now, now I take it one day at a time and I let God handle the outcomes. And that's really, really what it is. So this is the deal. I'm a facilitator at heart, okay, not a preacher, and I don't think God made me a preacher. I don't think he wanted me to preacher, be a preacher, so this is either going to be interactive with you guys, or it's going to get kind of weird, because I'm going to start answering my own questions. <laughs> deal? Interactive. All right, good deal. All right. <laughs> I don't want to end up in a straitjacket yet. <laughs> so... <laughs> Pastor Derek's been teaching us through 1 John since, can you believe this, since January? I mean, that's, that's pretty amazing, isn't it? And uh, it's been awesome, verse by verse, through the, the book of 1 John, and almost did two, like, two series with it. It's been amazing. And, you know, that's one of the, the um, blessings we have here at City on a Hill is expositional, verse by verse teaching through the Bible. For almost 40 years, Pastor James has been doing that. And, you know, one of the things that I, I'm impressed with Derek is that he picked up that same mantle. And he goes, you know what, we're going to preach verse by verse through the books. And there's really not much better than that. Because you can't miss those things that you got to go through. But see, now I'm up here. <laughs> and I'm not bound by First John. I get to go all over the place. 
So I'm pretty, pretty much covering 66 books of the Bible. I'm going back to a 55-minute sermon. And uh, so hang on. Kelsey, I'm sorry. You can stop the countdown. No. <laughs> no, I'll be a good boy, I think. Uh, I'm going to deliver what I hope is a practical plea that came out of the first John. Now, what's interesting is, is I started writing this in October of 22. So before he started doing this, I was doing that, and we didn't know it. And I thought, Derek, I got something I want to share at some point. So whenever it works out, I want to like to, you know, get up there at some point. And he goes, okay, no problem. So I kind of feel like God stepped in and said, hey, um, yeah, let's, let's do this. And I'll even share a couple other things that have come out. And Shannon messed with me this morning. She goes, what are you going to preach about, relationships? I'm like, am I that predictable? <laughs> what the heck? So this is my hypothesis. All of life is about relationships. All of life is about relationships. If your point of view shifts today and you grasp this truth, I believe that you could walk out of here with an entirely new view of life. If you get this, if your focus shifts and alters to this truth, I believe you will line up with the heart of God. You may even be able to answer the ultimate question to life. What is the meaning of life? My hypothesis is all of life is about relationships. So I'm going to start at a weird place. I'm going to look at two polar opposites. So let's begin looking at these two polar opposites to find the hypothesis, uh, if we can find some evidence here. The first one I want to begin with is heaven. So we have a couple details about heaven in the scriptures, uh, but, but not a ton, but a few things. So I'm going to ask a question you guys are going to answer, and if uh, you look like a pretty sharp group, some of you. And so I think you got this, okay? So when I die, when you die, and you're a Christ follower, what becomes of your relationship with God and Jesus? You, you meet him for the first time, what happens? Yeah, okay, not the judgment. That kind of will happen, yeah, but I'll, I'll read a passage. You're not as sharp as I thought. <laughs> it was a joke. I'm sure the online people have got it. They're all answering it. Uh, no, no, no. Here we go. First John 3, 2 says this. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared, but we, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. Right? Oh, you are sharp. <laughs> Full understanding, isn't it? Full understanding of everything. His love, who he is, all of the stuff that you had the questions, of, a full understanding. I see him as he is. There's full, unhindered intimacy with God the Father. Complete intimacy and relationship with Jesus Christ, his Son. Without sin, Inhibiting any of this, we have a full expression of the Holy Spirit. Secondly, who is in heaven? This is not a trick question. Who is in heaven? Jesus. Thank you, thank you. The obvious Sunday school answer. Excellent. Who else is in heaven? The angels. And who else? The saints. 
So those who accepted Christ. Now, if, if he's in heaven without sin, unhindered, what is that relationship going to be with all of us, all the saints? Unhindered, unbelievable, complete intimacy, complete. I don't think I can even grasp what that means. Full expression of intimacy. In fact, we get a, a little picture in Galatians 5.22. Do you remember this? This is the fruit of the Spirit. What's the fruit of the Spirit? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Can you imagine those things being fully expressed all in one place for eternity? It's, it's almost unbelievable, isn't it? I, I don't know that we grasp that fully. Full unhindered relationships. Now let's look at the polar opposite of heaven, which is... I thought you guys were going to say being a Cowboys fan. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So it's hell. Not the Cowboys fan thing, the hell thing. Yeah, so let's do that. Who's in, so who's in hell? Real quick. Satan. Yeah, thank you. Satan. Sound like the church lady over there. Um, who else is in hell? The demons and then those who did not accept Christ, right? You see that in Matthew 25, 41. And then you see that in, uh, in Matthew 13 as well. Those who, who, who did not accept Christ. Kind of a bad deal. What else is going on down there? Going to be hot. Full separation. I imagine so. I don't know if it's like Texas hot, but it's, yeah. Um, 2 Peter 2, 4 says that the fallen angels, angels are bound in chains of darkness. Ooh, that didn't sound good. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Jude 1 says that they will suffer punishment for eternity. That doesn't sound good. Okay, real quick. Who is not in hell? God, believers, Christ. What else is not? Light, light is not in hell. Goodness, the fruits of the Spirit are not in hell. Love will not be there. Intimacy will not be there. Relationship will not be there. Are you getting these polar opposites? Okay? So in essence, heaven is full of relationship and intimacy, whereas hell is absent of God, love, light, intimacy, and relationship. I think this is proof number one, using kind of these polar opposites uh, of what eternal life is going to be about. So let's kind of examine where we live now. There's a verse that Derek's been using uh, throughout this, uh, this series. He used it several times during this sermon, and it was one where, uh, I'll give you the reference. It's Matthew 22, 36 through 39. And the, the Pharisees, the religious elite, were confronting Jesus and they try to trap him. They try to trick him with a question. And, uh, and they ask the question, what is the greatest commandment? Do you remember what that one was? Yeah, that's right. Love the Lord God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, with all your mind. That is the first and greatest commandment. And the second one is like it, which is? All right. So Jesus comes back and answers it with what? I think a relational question. 
Love the Lord God with everything you got, everything that's in you. But then don't only do that. Love your neighbor with all of that as well. Okay? In fact, you see it in two different places also. Galatians 5.13 says, For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole love is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. John 17.3 says, And this is eternal life, and they know you, the one only true God, Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. See, I think these two relationships can't be separated. I think these relationships become glaring to us as the priority of life. There's only one really determining difference between a a Christ follower and and really the Christian religion than other world religions. And that is, as a Christian, you can have an intimate relationship with your Creator. A personal, meaningful relationship one-on-one relationship with your creator. In fact, Abraham's called a, a what of God? A friend of God. A friend of God. Imagine that. Since the beginning, this being called out light. He created everything, spoke it into existence, had everything in mind, and he had every, every one of his people in mind before the foundations of the earth. And he called that person a friend. That's a deep abiding relationship. Why did Jesus come to earth to live a perfect life and sacrifice a perfect life? Was it to restore a relationship? Wasn't it? There was a broken relationship that took place in the Garden of Eden, wasn't there? Relationship between mankind and Him. Didn't He come to restore that? Did He come to restore this relationship too? I did. For eternity. Do you see it? It's pretty clear, isn't it? And this is really the second proof that life is all about relationships. Jesus said, love the Lord God with everything you got and love others with the love of Christ. Okay? So, I've got a point three. And I'm kind of one of those guys where I'm like, there's no way I'm going to get through this. In fact, I had typed up so much and I'm, I started whittling things away to a point where I'm like, nah. I was going to talk about the emotional spiritual principle. Everybody know about the emotional spiritual principle? If you don't know it, raise your hand. Good. Okay, I won't go over. Oh, crap. These guys don't know it. I, uh, go through life change with me when I lead it, okay? Uh, or get James's book out there, Refuge, or, or the life change book. Um, are we convinced yet? Is there any doubt left? That life is about relationships. My relationship with God and my relationship with everybody else. When I present this truth, most, most folks don't argue. Rarely do they argue. So here's the problem. How can I shift my life? How can you shift your life into living based on these two primary relationships? Let me tell you the major malfunction It's not whether you believe it or not. The problem is, do we live out this truth? You may know it's true, but do you live it out? Rarely, if ever. Truly. I want to examine the problem before I get to the solution. That's what Chuck told me to do. Uh, There's two primary problems. Number one is distraction. Isn't it? Is this world distracting? 
You better believe it is. Uh, number two is I'm the problem. Not me. Well, yeah. Yeah, okay. <laughs> I am my problem. I'm my biggest problem. Okay. So let's start with the first one. The enemy's tactic, I believe, there is an enemy, and his tactic is to destroy intimacy. It's to destroy intimacy between each other and to destroy intimacy between me and, and my Heavenly Father. So what does he use most? I believe he uses distraction. I don't think the enemy denies this truth about relationships at all. I think he knows it as clear as day. The deal is, is he just uses this world to distract. Everything in it distracts. Every, you will walk out here and be bombarded by distraction of what the priority of life really is. Something could happen right around here and be distracting. Our key is focus. So what does he use most? He uses distraction. And I think that there is an intimacy issue where he tries to break that intimacy between each other and he tries to break this intimacy between us. And intimacy has been kind of hijacked by the world, hasn't it? Let me kind of see if I can define that in, in, in two different ways. First, I'll use the Oxford Dictionary. Uh, there's some irony there, but this is it. The Oxford Dictionary says that intimacy is knowing the inmost part of a being. Knowing the inmost part of a being. And uh, Rob, does that work with Roxy, your dog? Yeah, it does. There's intimacy there, isn't there? Okay. It, it, like, she knows him. He knows her. Like, movements. And they know what's going on, don't they? Okay? You know what I'm talking about. My wife's starting to finish my jokes. This is horrible. <laughs> this is bad. Right, Darren? It stinks. Uh, Tim? No, no, she, there's no way she's finishing your jokes. And so, uh, <laughs> she got it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Let me tell you what two, two, two biblical examples of intimacy are. The first I'm going to use is David and Jonathan. You've heard of David and Jonathan, so you're going to have to get out your Bibles here because uh, I'm going to get mine out. And 1 Samuel is where we're going to go. 1 Samuel 1, 18, 1 through 3. 1 Samuel 18, 1 through 3. Hear this. When David had finished speaking with Saul, Jonathan was bound to David in close friendship. Very good there. And he loved him as much as he loved himself. Have we heard that before? Saul kept David with him from that day on and did not let him return to his father's house. Verse 3. Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as much as he loved himself. Then Jonathan removed the robe he was wearing and gave it to David along with his military tunic, his sword, his bow, and his belt. So everything that, that uh, was rightfully Jonathan's, the prince, the, the heir to the throne, he took off and gave it to David because David was going to be the king. But you have to understand, even the verbiage that we heard from Jesus was being told about these two young men. He loved him as much as he loved himself. That's a sacrificial love. That's a definition of intimacy. I'm going to go a little bit further here. Uh, do you remember what happened to, to Jonathan? He died in a battle, didn't he? With Saul. Okay, now, this is very important. Who did David replace Jonathan with? Nobody. 
nobody. So this deep, abiding relationship took place. This relationship with the, that was as close as close could be severed, and he replaced Jonathan with nobody. And what did David do as a result? He did some sinning, didn't he? He did a little bit of sinning. But see, what happened was is he had a blind side. He couldn't see. And he needed a Jonathan in his life. He needed a deep accountability relationship that was going to be there. Because there's an ominous verse that says, when kings go out to battle, what did David do? He stayed back in the temple. What do you think Jonathan would have done? What are you doing? Let's go, man. This is what kings do. You're a warrior king. You're God's warrior king. Let's go. You know what David would have done? Yeah, I know, I know. Let's go. Come on. This is what I do. This is what I'm supposed to do. But see, there wasn't a Jonathan there because David didn't invite a Jonathan back in his life. I think that's what we do often. Is we don't invite that person that's going to cover our back. They're going to say some things that you don't want to hear. Right? Stuff like when you go, man, she's doing this and she's saying this. And, well, what's this about you? Tell me about you. I, I don't want to talk about me. No, 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 no. <laughs> Hold on. Okay? That's the second point because who's the problem? Me. I'm the problem. I needed a Jonathan. I've got to have a Jonathan. He sent me an old crusty man and a bunch of dudes with the same problem as me. That doesn't make any sense. <laughs> That's what he did. So God had to send another Jonathan in the name of Nathan, right? Okay. So let me give you another one. Jesus, was Jesus intimate? See, it's weird how I say that and you, the, the world has started to hijack that word, hasn't it? Was Jesus intimate? Yes. Was he intimate with the Father? The deity, the most. Everything that the Father knew and everything that the Father told him to do, he did. He followed perfectly. He was as intimate with the Father as anybody else has ever been. Now, was he intimate with his 12 disciples? You better believe it. In fact, in John 10, 29, what does he say about them? Let me go to it. Uh, let's just read it. John 10, 29. It's here somewhere. It says this. Nope. Nope, 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 nope. That's the one about God. Let's do the John, uh, the John 15. I'm sorry. John 15, 11 through 16. It says this. I have told you these things so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. This is my command. Love one another as I have loved you. So he's talking to the disciples real quick, okay? He says, no one has greater love for than, than this, to lay down his life for his friends. And you are my friends if you do what I command. I do not call you servants anymore because servant doesn't know what his master is doing. I have called you friends because I have made known to you everything I have heard from my Father. You do not choose me. I chose you. Deep, abiding intimacy. But see, the key for the enemy was to distract and to break that intimacy. And it's the same key 
It's the same thing He's trying to do in your life. In fact, where your biggest grief is, where your biggest brokenness is, where your biggest resentment is, usually lies at a relationship. You're telling me He's not coming after you? Yeah, He is. It's true, isn't it? So, I I believe a good example of of distracting or trying to break that intimacy is called injury of intimacy. Uh, And really, I think he's going to use trauma more than anything. Who in here has gone through the fearless for women or at least seen the fearless for men like the first one? Raise your hand high. Raise your hand high. Okay. So not even half. If you haven't seen that, then you have not seen the most simple way of explaining trauma because I believe those two videos that James has put together really explains the simplicity of trauma. So a shameless plug here. In September, we're going to run both of those. But what will be fun is, is we'll run the women's. And so oh, the women will go through the women's and then they will follow it right up with the men's fearless. So they'll understand exactly what the men are going through and then the vice versa. Men, you'll go through the men's fearless and then follow it right up with the women's. And so there'll be a, a, a whole program that we put together for that and rolling that out in the first part of September. So there's a shameless plug. Everybody has some form of trauma. And someone in here said, no, I don't. Yes, you do. You either have big T trauma, like sexual abuse, or a, a major injury, big T trauma, or you have little T trauma like a thousand little paper cuts. Someone said something. A parent said something. A sibling said something. Someone at school did something. That's trauma too. If you don't, you will, if you don't process it, if you don't work through it, you will remain distracted because of that trauma from the weightier matters of life. Okay? So, let's get into the next major problem. Me. Not Brian, like all of us. You're, you're your own biggest problem. I'm going to read something. This is Brian Peterson's, I think, favorite quote. So here's the point. Are relationships risky? You better believe they are. They are risky, aren't they? This comes from C.S. Lewis. And it's a quote from Four Loves. Listen. To love it all is to be vulnerable. Love anything and your heart will be wrung and possibly broken. If you want to make sure of keeping it intact, you must give it to no one, not even an animal. Wrap it carefully around with hobbies and little luxuries. Avoid all entanglements. Lock it up safe in the casket or the coffin of your selfishness. But in that casket, safe, dark, motionless, airless, it will change. It will not be broken. It will become unbreakable, impenetrable, irredeemable. To love is to be vulnerable. The only person preventing intimacy in my life is me. I have trauma. You have trauma. We all have some measure. I have addiction. All of us have put something in the place where God only resides. 
you have addiction too. I have handicaps. You have handicaps. None of us is perfect. We all have shortcomings. That was not supposed to be a joke. (laughs) My spouse difficult. Is your spouse difficult? Yeah. They're human, aren't they? Hers, hers, is, hers is very difficult. But we love him, don't we? Yeah. <laughs> I'm the only one that has me stuck. My biggest problem, I want you to repeat after me. I'm my biggest problem. Let's do it again. I'm my biggest problem. I'm my biggest problem. You can't change the trauma that happened. You can't effectively change the temptation to stuff. You can't change your handicap. You can't change how your spouse acts. The only thing you can change, the attitude. Okay? I can surrender to God. And if I don't, I stay stuck. So, there are two problems with living out this truth that life is about relationships. Number one, distractions. Number two, me. So what's the solution? This is not where you answer back. (laughs) We're going to get into intimacy. Okay? We're going to get into intimacy. Number one, intentionally alter your perspective. Intentionally alter your perspective. This is not just thought. This is action. Okay? When everything becomes about relationships, identify you. You must identify what you really value and examine it against the truth. You've got to do that. I'm going to tell a quick story because I have two minutes or I'm going to go to 55 minutes. This is the story. We did a Trumark hunt. And Trumark is a, uh, a hunting ministry that we put together uh, six or seven years ago. My, my best friends and my son. And uh, it's just kind of, it, it's been a blessing to all of us. And so um, I took a, 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 a dear friend my, my Jonathan out with me with his daughter. And uh, as we're hunting, we go to this spot that's a great spot, and, but we can only harvest does and pigs. And so, which is fine, except they had a thousand turkeys there. So every time the feeder went off, you know what happened? All the corn was gone in like 10 seconds, and they're gone. And so nothing came out. And we're on our way home, and he's like, he's kind of bummed. Man, we didn't see anything. We really didn't get to harvest anything. And I go, oh, hold on, hold on. Do you not know what True Mark's about? And he goes, am I missing something? I go, True Mark's about relationships. Isn't it, James? And if it's not relationships, we've missed the boat. All of a sudden, his mindset shifted. Everything changed. How was the relationship with your daughter? Everything changed. Because it wasn't about hunting. It was about relationships. Get that. You have to intentionally alter your perspective. Number two, just because I'm right doesn't mean I'm right. How often do I make being right over the relationship? This doesn't mean that I don't tell the truth. This doesn't mean that I don't 
follow the truth. It doesn't mean that I don't know the truth. It doesn't mean that I don't have the truth as an authority. The real question is, do I have to get my point across to the detriment of the relationship? And this is really hard for a prideful person to grasp. But it's just true. Number three, I lost my place. Number three, see, this is why I use paper, Kelsey. I'm not... (laughs) I'm not going to avoid my feelings. I'm not going to mask my feelings. I'm not going to ignore my feelings. I'm going to learn my feelings. I'm going to understand what my feelings are telling me because there's something up with me when that feeling comes up. But also, if that's a good feeling, I can, I can live in that feeling and it's good. But see, what happens is, is we're taught often by the world to go, no, 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 ignore your feelings. They're going to guide you. They're going to guide you and they're going to get you in... I wish I had time to do a feelings exercise with you. With some of the facilitators, I did it. And it makes sense, doesn't it? You have to understand what your feelings and your emotions are telling you. So you kind of come back and go, what do I believe? That means that's why I'm acting here. But all of a sudden, I can actually feel my feeling. Jesus felt his feelings. You better believe he did. And he acted appropriately on them. When he was angry, he showed anger. When he was astonished at the centurion, what did he do? He showed it. There's no more faith than I've seen in all of Israel than this man right here, a non-believer that just believed. Number four, you have to redefine success. In uh, John Maxwell's book, 21 Irrefutable Laws of Leadership, he says this, people over profits, people over material success. God has something for for you to learn and grow out of each relationship. He has something for you to receive, and he has something for you to give. Each relationship matters. Will you be open to his method, his will, his direction? Every relationship matters. If you are in here, and you have some form of intimacy with me, meaning that you have impacted We have impacted each other. Would you stand real quick? Just real quick. We have impacted each other. We've impacted each other. Okay. Now, I did this for one reason, one reason only. I believe intimacy can change lives. Can you get this? This is just one-on-one. I see you. Okay. I see you. You may be seated. Can you imagine if the body of Christ changes to look at it from this perspective? I didn't know you were singing that new song. What if, what if, I wonder if we start living for relationships, if his kingdom come and his will be done here as it is in eternity in heaven. That can happen. One at a time, one at a time.
Every activity, every event changes when a relationship is a priority. Why groups? Relationships. Why work? Relationships. Why sports? Relationships. Why mission trips? Relationships. Why the gospel? Relationships. I remember in 2009 when Chuck was fighting with his sixth bout of cancer. He started getting weaker and, and more worn down. James and I were talking quite a bit at the time. And he said, uh, would you be willing to come home to celebration and, and take Chuck's position? I was extremely honored. And I said, yes. Uh, at the time, my career was going really well. Uh, my minute, the ministry in Oklahoma was going really well. Uh, all sorts of things are going pretty well. And I just knew that I knew that I knew that I was supposed to come home here. And um, I didn't understand how God was going to work it out because uh, I, I did the math and I'm like, oh man, my salary just got cut 61%. And uh, that, that wasn't going to be fun and easy. And, uh, and there were people that helped out. I was on my way to work and I remember I was at 820 and 377, which takes about three lights to get through, if you know what I mean, like this huge line. And I'm sitting there and I heard the voice of God in, in my heart say, this is what I made you for. People over profit. And he opened the eyes of my heart. He opened the eyes of my heart. I'm going to read an excerpt from the first uh, freedom group I went through, the Spiritual Journey Workbook. Page 60, it says this. Learning to trust in God and accept his support will enhance the quality of our lives. We will no longer feel the need to carry out bur our burdens by ourselves. I now, have not, I, have, I now have not only a personal relationship with God, I have a number of personal intimate relationships with men. God does carry my burdens, but oftentimes he sends another man to help me carry those burdens. Much of the pain of our past is a result of feeling totally alone. Our need to control people or even events kept us isolated. But as we trust, as we surrender, we will begin to relate better with others. With God's presence, our sense of self-esteem will improve and we will begin to recognize that we are worthwhile human beings. Our capacity to receive and give love will increase and we will come to a place great value on fellowship and sharing. Let me pray. Father, thank you for coming after each and every one of us with a passion, with, with, with fervor that we couldn't resist. But thank you so much for a body of believers, a people that we can be intimate with, with holiness, with righteousness, with love and true intimacy. God, I pray that, I believe it's a promise you have that what we do here guided by you and led by you, will last for eternity. And these relationships right here will never burn up because they're made with your stuff and not the stuff of this world. I pray that hearts are changed, minds are opened, and we truly have our hearts open to you. It's in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you, guys. All right, I won't be here next week. I get to preach at Terrence.
So uh, Derek will be back. It was great having you guys. Get the heck out of here. I'm way late.